Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of The Few. Hope your journey to fulfilling that life ambition is tracking the direction you'd like it to. A big part of that journey is your ability to sell, your ability to make life easy for yourself. And particularly as an entrepreneur or business owner, I mean, my experience certainly over the last 17 years in business is the better people you have, the easier you systemize, the small things that get in the way. And if you automate and put in place systems and structures that do a fantastic job, but at a price point that actually doesn't crush the business, you set yourself up for transcendent or huge growth. So today's guest that I'm very excited to talk to is somebody who has an implicit understanding of branding, someone that understands how to unlock the full potential of a labor or HR resource, but also someone that knows a little bit about generating leads, generating business in today's highly congested digital world. Oh, by the way, does some pretty remarkable things as well as for good, for humanitarian reasons and just all around good stuff that fills your heart. But let's make him welcome. No further ado. Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without gold are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Barry, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you coming on today and making time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. So Barry, look, you have a brand business. You are all about brand. I assume that's something that you kind of started off very early on in your career and subsequently diversified. So let's just start there. I mean, Stampede Branding, that's just like an in-your-face brand name right there. What was it about getting into brand, be it personal or business, that kind of appealed to you? How did you start this journey? Yeah, well, I mean, branding's fascinating as a subject. I mean, there's some great um, teachers out there on the subject, like Reese and Trout. If anybody's there, I don't know if anybody's read, you know, uh, The Battle for the Mind by Reese and Trout. Positioning. And putting, you know, marketing's great. All the forms of marketing. I mean, my favorite marketing program is the one that works, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, simple. You know, so it's like whatever tool, you know, is there, you're going to use, it's good to have a good identity associated with it that means something to somebody, right? That has like a, a UPC or a position in relationship to, to those things. So we we try to exemplify that ourselves and then, you know, and we want our clients, I mean, often they, they just need, I mean, they need leads, they need new clients, they need what they need. And we jump in on that, but we'd like to see them evolve into, you know, having a culture and a brand associated with it so that it means something, not just something somebody bought something from. And I've just admired that in so many companies and admired the concept for many, many years. And so that's what we wanted to be. I once heard someone describe brand as what people say about you when you leave the room and about your company. What does brand mean to you? Yeah, that, that's a great definition. I mean, it uh, what people say about you know it has to do with who you are ultimately, your values, how you communicate, your style, what it is that you're offering to people, like what really makes you different. I think that's uh, you know as well as like the logo and the colors and the but those are on the end of the list for me. And then it's like. Those are the things that dictate the rest, you know? It also has to be something that's based on like research. I think people don't 
quite get the fact that they have to do some research to make sure that whatever it is that they're going to be saying about themselves really is what people need and want. Like uh, you see a lot in the movie industry today where movies are being put out that are not what people need and want and they're failing. And uh, so <laughs> the brands are being destroyed by corrupting their own image, by not having a set of standards that they can live by and that they do live by and they exemplify. They work, not that they're going to be perfect, right? Because nobody's perfect and no company's perfect. We don't, you know, people make mistakes. They have a bad day. They have a bad year. But you're working towards being something that, you know, is was what you stand for. And it means something. And it's what other people want, by the way. And it's it's not just what you want. It's what other people want. Yeah, that's probably even more important. It's not all about you. And it's interesting brand, isn't it? When you look at some of these YouTubers and individuals that have gone viral almost without creating a brand, just having something or fitting a need in the market and then retrospectively creating a brand out of that market access. What's changed in branding now that we've become so much more digitally enabled? Even, what, six years ago, you put out a Facebook ad, you had some decent Google AdWords. You know, you were probably doing okay in the digital market space. Now, fast forward through COVID and the digital adoption, there's not many businesses out there now that don't have some sort of digital presence. Has it changed? And is it harder now to establish a brand and establish that brand in the market? There's a lot more noise. Right. So you have to like somehow figure out a way to pierce through the noise and good research, good data can help you to find out what your messaging should be. So you can actually get through and then you've got to be effective at getting through with the right enough ammo pointed in the right direction. But then the other thing is the speed. Now that everything's happening makes your rise or your demise quicker based on if you get the right stuff or you get the wrong stuff going on. Right. So like uh, empires. The speed at which an empire can topple, we've seen in, in the marketplace in the last, recently. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's in play, isn't it? Yeah, so recently, the speed at which an empire or a brand can topple is amazing. If you go, because it's really about, you know, getting out there and reaching people and giving them what they need and want. The opposite of that would be reaching people with what they detest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so, so annihilation of branding yeah yeah don't do that well it, it, you make a good point though traditionally in the sphere of politics there was some pretty clear branding around certain political parties what they stood for what they meant and i guess now that everyone has their own voice the collective voice is disappearing because your own voice is so powerful on on social media and the ability for individuals now to employ a brand must be kind of terrifying for enterprises that that are very you know, are very protective around the brand, the likes of Apple, Google, Coca-Cola, McDonald's. I mean, the, the risk to brands must be higher than it's ever been before. Yeah, and some are just dumb to it. You know, they're just stupid with regards to it anyway. They don't care. Apparently, they don't care. Yeah, the risk is big, and individuals can put that thing as a risk. Like you said, with political branding, yeah, there's, I mean, that's kind of shattering to some degree, probably a good thing, because now we're finding out what people actually think and what their value is, and what their values, I should say, what their values are and what they're, and we find out, you know, it's quicker for us to find out what Joe did, you know, so we can say, we don't like that. We don't want to support it. And so it's like, meh. And the bigger you are, right, the harder you can fall. So, like, the more you rise in those channels, but even on a lower level, people can get the word out pretty quick about who you are. You know, the bad news spreads quicker 
unfortunately, than the good news. <laughs> People don't really have an appetite for good news. It's not really how humans work. I mean, we love the trolls. We love to get in there. We love to bring people down because through that, we elevate ourselves. I like good news, but the good news I like is what are we actually getting done, right? It's like, I like good news. I have an appetite for it because I want to hear about accomplishments and, and wins, what we're doing. I mean, usually it has to do with some sort of adversity. So you're always hearing about that part too, but that's fine. That's a good story. So I like all that, right? Anyway, it's interesting stuff. Branding is everything that we just talked about, I think, for sure. What are some tips for, because obviously some organizations make it from a small business to a medium business and medium business make it to a large business and all of a sudden their brand becomes synonymous with something. So I'm assuming now with the amount of noise out there to your point about finding your focus and then resourcing it and going hard means that brands need to be more focused than perhaps they were before. Have you got any like good stories or in your experience, a, an organization that did well in that emerging to middle layer, not just these big behemoths? Yeah, there's great organizations out there. Like there's a local one uh, that I've worked with, uh, Postcard Mania here in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, she basically started in her garage, you know, quite some many, many years ago. And she's got an incredible culture and brand. And I'd say one of the key components of her brand I mean, she really cares about getting results for people. And that's one of her, she has values, right? She actually has a code for her. If you're on her team, companies called Postcard Mania. So they call the team the maniacs, right? And she's got a code of the maniacs, right? And uh, so it's a code that people follow. It's, it's expected. And, and one of the policies that she has in the company that you can actually be fired for is you don't talk, you don't whisper about somebody else to somebody else. You don't like spread rumors internally or talk behind the scenes about another, right? Because that destroys an organization. She recognized that early, so she makes sure that that stays out of it. So I'd say between the simplicity of it is, she pushes the fact of results. She's interested in results. She knows that you must promote, like her business did not falter, nor did it lay anyone off during COVID because she increased promotion. My business has never been damaged by economic upheaval since I've been a business owner since well before 2008, because we promoted, we just kept promoting. We increased the promotion if things are tough because, you know, there's not, we can't do anything about the economy. We can do something about what we're doing. It's counterintuitive though, isn't it? So many companies cut marketing when times are tough, right? Yeah. You should cut stupid marketing, right? But you should test things and find out what's working. Give it long enough time to work. And if it's not working, you know, I mean, give it some, sometimes you have three, four, five months to find out something's working, depending on what it is. But you just have to, you really can't cut your marketing budget. You just have to reallocate because that's what's going to see you through at the end of the day. It'd be like, you know, you know dumb marketing. I mean, things that you're just wasting money on marketing. Sure. Cut those. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like people who have made a career out of marketing are slightly broken, right? And and I mean that in an endearing way, because when it comes to marketing, you are always throwing into a void. You seem to be constantly testing and adjusting, working with a company that has an opinion of its brand, and then you start marketing what the company's opinion is. It doesn't work on a test and adjust. I mean, what sort of person are you to enjoy this business where, you know, often in marketing, you can spend a lot of money and try a campaign and it kind of doesn't work at all. And then other times something just goes viral and it just works and you're not sure. Whilst there's a formula, it also seems to be kind of you know, a handful of darts at a board. 
Yeah, it's like, I mean, I would say that what we do is like, we, we try to go with results-driven programs only. So like when we started talking, the, my favorite marketing program is the one that works. And so it's like, there are certain types of marketing to work well for certain type for certain industries. So we don't like urge somebody to spend in money in places where we know we're not going to get a result because that's just, it's bad, right? It's that we don't do that. So we're really focusing on, I think there's a lot of different kinds of people that are attracted to marketing. Some just think it's like, I don't know, easy money. Some think it's, uh, I mean, they were in real estate and there was in 2008, the real estate market went up. So they decided to get into marketing instead. There's the guys that, that really love to put together campaigns and, and craft those whole things. And then there's guys that just don't mind putting together a team that just beats the phone and does uh, lead development of some sort or another. And that's all cool. So it's like, which one of those tools between postcards and pay-per-click and SEO and influencer marketing, which one's going to move the needle? And we basically like, between my two companies, we can do any of it. You know, in fact, I represent Postcard Mania too, in case my clients happen to need a postcard campaign. You know, we basically, we, we go to give them the kind of campaign that works, right? And that's the kind of marketer I like to be. And that's what my partner's that way too, uh, because he's wasted a lot of money in marketing before he bought a marketing company and then we partnered together. Yeah, got it. <laughs> That's a smart way to do it. Yeah, it's like there's one way to do it. And then he bought a company, studied the subject. He knew that if he mastered that and he could get enough leads, he could do anything, right? And it's true. It's a powerful subject. You know, it attracts a lot of people, people of various types of character. And so, you know, yeah, that's just the way it is. It's, but it's fun. It's fun to get results for people. And it's fun to communicate and send a lot of communication out there into the ether. And then it's fun to do it intelligently and see some great results roll back. If you're kind of tracking Gary Vaynerchuk and these kind of new age marketing gurus around content creation and or your click funnel fads, I mean, how do the small businesses do it all? I mean, how do you create 15 content pieces a day and have six click funnel pages and have a sales and marketing team and an EDM campaign and social media lead forms. I mean, how do you just manage all of the things you need to do today to be an effective digital marketeer? Yeah. So, well, I mean, delegate, you know, put somebody else in charge of stuff that you're not, you know, like for one, we, we've got two companies, we've got a marketing company and a virtual assistant agency. Right. And, um, the way that, I mean, I came into marketing, by the way, because my dad had multiple companies back when I was 20, which is like 36 years ago, right? When I was a teenager, which a couple, if several years before that, even when I was a teenager, which is more years ago. And so he had multiple companies. And so I learned, you know, he loved employing people, helping people to like um, get out there and do their thing. And so, you know, I got into marketing back then and what I saw was he was really good at delegating and putting people in charge of different aspects of the operation, right? So I ended up getting a couple of sales careers after that, and then eventually got into nonprofit work. And I did nonprofit work for about 20 years. About halfway through that career, I started a second career and started my own business as a marketing company. But while I was in nonprofit, the nonprofit arena, 
I was in charge of community outreach programs, organizing and running volunteers and organizing and running large groups of personnel and getting them to get a bunch of work done. And I didn't have anybody, I have very few people that work directly for me, but I had to put on huge events. And so I needed people. So I got people, right. And I put them to work and I gave them things to do that were useful. And, and so, you know, so I've been either exposed to delegating or doing a lot of it for a long time. And I figured out that if I got sucked into it myself, and if I was doing the work, then I really wasn't running the organization anymore. Because the executive doesn't necessarily like he's not, he's ideally, I mean, sometimes you have to do the work yourself. In many cases, there are many pieces I still do myself that I'm working to turn over. And I will turn those over to people. But some pieces take longer than others. But the thing is, is like, you can't really grow a big organization if you're stuck in the machine. And there are different phases of that, right? You could be stuck 100% in the machine. You could be stuck 50% in the machine, which is a heck of a lot better, right? Or you could be stuck, you know, whatever part of it, right? To some degree, if you're stuck in the machine, you can't really make it grow the way you would. But if you get good people that take responsibility for pieces of it, and they help you and you could any monitor what those people are doing on a regular basis and and you can see that they're giving you output that's going to that is resulting in what you need them to do so the business thrives well then you can grow big companies you want to like um, postcard mania is a great example i mean they've got i'm going for having as many employees as she has i'm not quite a third of the way there of the team that we have but she has like 360 people and between me and my partner's business, you know, the teams that we've put together, we've got well over a hundred people, right? And so we're going for that size of group and we've got specialists that are really good at what they do, right? Uh, whether it's the sales funnels or the pay-per-click, right? What have you. So my marketing company kind of came out of the fact that I was into that community outreach aspect of things with the nonprofits. I really enjoyed bringing people in, right? Getting people to come in or contact an organization or reach in and say, hey, I want to find out more about what you're doing. I really love that type of work. And I love getting out there amongst people and working with people. So that's where the marketing company kind of came into be. I got fascinated with the subject in my nonprofit years and then working with my dad. And then I found out that, but I needed great people to do the work so that I could keep reaching out to people and introducing them to what we were doing. So we worked with a lot of freelancers. I mean, through the years we had payrolled employees as well, which is, you know, taxes are no joke when you have a payroll employee. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> as well as all the other things that go along with it, right? Uh, all the legal hoops and whatever. So we started working with freelancers and working with freelancers um, today, freelancers pretty much exclusively is we've got teammates who are overseas, pretty much uh, almost a hundred percent. And we're, we, we basically, so we have a marketing company and we have a virtual assistant company and all of our personnel are remote and they all work for us and they're contracted to work with us, but they're own people too. And we figured out how to run teams remotely, but we can delegate an incredible amount of work. I don't have anything that, that I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I work at home, right? And I run a team of over, I mean, and we were, I work with a team of over a hundred people from here and, you know, I have my reports that come in and I meet with them. And is, is that different to five years ago? Like what you were doing? Oh yeah. Way different. I mean, di five years ago, I was 
very much smaller team, probably like a less than, by around 10 people, maybe. And maybe probably less than that. I was still working here, right, in this space, but I hadn't quite figured out to the degree that I could delegate things and how I knew these things, but I hadn't really put them in action. And we started putting together processes and exact you know, procedures for things and how it was to be done. And then we started moving that work off onto other people for them to do. Like they're the, I guess, the uncelebrated champions of delegation and scale, the processes, the systems, the clearly defining what good looks like, what is an output. I mean, that, that's a big job. And it's a job that a lot of small businesses don't ever seem to commit to. And as a result, just because there's no systems, the leader and the owner just has to constantly step in to bat the ball down in the right direction. Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing, and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. Right. Yeah, I have, one per- I have a person who helps me with that. I mean, she teaches the other staff how to do it as well, and she's in charge of processes and stuff. And so we put together these processes, which then our assistants because like I said, I have two companies that are working with all the people remotely evolved into a virtual assistant agency. So we have a virtual, I have a virtual assistant agency that now I do that same thing for small businesses. And we've teach those assistants how to write up those processes as well. So that when we give them a client, they can now write up the processes associated with the work that they're doing and they can help the client to start to figure out how to outsource more. And now they can get another assistant who can now take on some work. And another assistant, we have people that have four or more assistants with us just basically because they just started putting together these processes and we gave them great people. We dive deep into the hiring piece to make sure we're getting really high quality people doing testing and everything there was to do to make sure that that piece was covered. And then, uh, yeah, then rock and roll and give them a, you know, get that thing going, you know? So delegation, obviously important. If you're a small business, you want to scale up your branding. What are two or three other really critical mindset pieces you need to be able to embark on a really robust branding strategy? You know, I'd say basically, well, I mean, branding really doesn't matter much if you don't have any customers. So regardless, you can't be so fixated on branding that you forget that you have to do effective marketing, right? So, So that'd be a piece of it. Delegating to those virtual assistants uh, would be, or those people getting the, the work off of your plate would be a big deal. Yeah, I think that they, all the character and the values of your brand is a huge deal. Making sure that you have like a code that your people live by, that they, we have, we have our own character education. One of the nonprofits I'm associated with is deals with character education. And uh, so we teach that training, that character education training is part of my business. Because, I mean, although I hire good people to begin with, people that want to be good to others in life, I go ahead and teach them the character education anyway, which helps uplift them. And we've got a better environment, people that care about each other and that care about the clients, right? And that, um, you know, monitoring the actual results is part of it because you can get carried away with branding too. If you're not monitoring results and making sure that there's a return on your investment, that you're actually moving the needle every day in the right direction. That's part of it as well. And then staying in good communication with your clients. 
I mean, at the virtual assistant agency, we work to, if your client's willing, we'll meet with them every single week to make sure things are going in the right direction. So stay in communication with the, yeah, you mentioned YouTube earlier, and I, I mentioned research. The YouTubers out there in the world that do a really good job, they read the chat, right? And I heard a YouTuber the other day say that the chat's always right. Yeah. And I think it's true. It's true because that chat is research. It's basically you're finding out what people need and want so that you can actually do it and give it to them. And that's huge. Yeah, there's no substitute for it. So, yeah. If that's the good stuff to do in marketing, what does bad look like? <laughs> what have you seen in your extensive career where you've walked into an organization, they've either not listened maybe, or there's nothing there, or maybe even where people have spent a lot of money on marketing, but the result has just been virtually non-existent. Yeah, well, stupid names are really good. They're probably the very first thing you notice, like a stupid name for a company, right? Probably one of the, I mean, unless you can prove me wrong, unless you've got a lot of money and you plan and you really have the money to make it really, really big, using initials for your name is pretty dumb, yeah. right? Because who's going to remember that? Yep. So I think it starts with the name. That's really bad marketing for one. I would say that I've seen ads on YouTube that don't really sell anything. Yeah. Right. That don't, that basically are just like, I don't know what they're supposed to do. They're basically like communicating some sort of artsy thing that doesn't really sell anything. I don't even know what they were trying to sell. Yeah. You know? So that's horrible. Another piece of bad branding would be uh, walking into a place and it basically having, it's not awesome, you know, as far as impeccable, having a good space or having unfriendly people, right? Or bad service or a lousy product or arguing with customers or, I mean, I was in a coffee shop the other day and, you know, marketing is also, marketing is a big word, right? It's a branding is a, a piece of it. But marketing is bigger than branding, you know, branding kind of goes in marketing, but marketing includes the delivery of the product to the potential consumer, right? That's part of the delivery channel, right? And I was at a coffee shop. The delivery channel is like the barista, right? The barista is the delivery channel. So, I mean, there was one guy in line that was made to wait so long unnecessarily, he left. I, so I talked to them about what they could have done differently. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, just because, and I, I, in a nice way. I actually did that the other day myself. <laughs> yeah, I knew the owner. I probably, you know, I probably talked to him eventually about, I mentioned it to him. And so they were just, they just weren't thinking, you know, so hopefully I made him think a little bit, maybe, hopefully. But uh, those are so, some of the pieces that, um, yeah. And then, and then if you got something that works, not doing it, that's bad marketing and bad branding. If you um, sitting around and blaming the economy is bad branding or inflation. Being a victim of COVID is bad marketing. <laughs> Saying that, you know, oh, COVID, it was COVID, right? I mean, so there's so many examples. We could, just, we could have a whole podcast just on that. It's interesting because, you know, in terms of what to invest in marketing, it seems to be, we were talking just before the podcast and, I, and recently I was just did a, a CEO's forum and in the room, they were asking, what are the number one problems everyone has? And there were really two is finding the right people to look after sales and conversion. And the other one was how to market a digitally saturated world and where to spend your money. Like people have marketing budget, but they're putting big budgets into Google and only getting one or two clicks a month. 
are they're putting the money into their social media campaigns, but it's just thousands of dollars in a drain and nothing comes up. There seems to be this fear of the digital spaces, the cards are stacked and it's a little bit like going to the casino and the fruit machine and you're putting your money in there and the Liberty Bell's just not ringing. So what are the mistakes people make around advertising then and, and around putting budget into those direct kind of leads or into being discovered on any of those channels? First off, if you're spending money on pay-per-click advertising, it's either, and you're not getting results, it's either you're using the wrong channel or the wrong company that's doing it for you. Because it's not, it can work. People do make it work. You just need to work with somebody who's going to give you realistic expectations, who's going to tell you exactly what it's going to take. And then based on that information, you sign up, you will get a result, right? Like we basically guarantee results with pay-per-click advertising. And yeah, because we just don't like to lose. My partner yeah. doesn't like to lose <laughs> at all. Like on an individual customer basis, he wants you to make two to one on the dollars that you're spending on your digital marketing minimally, right? So, you know, so with digital marketing, that's one of the, that's the thing, right? So it's either the wrong channel or the wrong company that's doing it for you, or the wrong person, you know? So change that, you know? On things like SEO and social media, if done right, they are fantastic and they can get just as much traffic for your company as pay-per-click, but they do take longer. They take, it's a six month to 12 month campaign. Anybody that tells anything any different, it's just really selling you, you know, something silly, right? That you shouldn't be buying. So it just takes that long, but you can get the results that you're the same kind of results that you should be getting right away with pay-per-click advertising. So, I mean, those are two things from what you asked for, you know, asked about is like that you should be aware of, you know, some companies it's, I mean, pay-per-click's not the right thing or SEO is not necessarily, they don't have the budget to reach out and make it happen, you know, with, through those channels. And, you know, as uh, they may need to, to get somebody who's just an appointment setter for them, who puts people in front of them every week and they need to sharpen up their sales process. And, you know, we do that for people too. So, I mean, I meet a lot of people every week because I have several appointment setters that work for me personally. I actually like meeting people and talking to them and finding how I can help their business. So I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings every week that are scheduled. Is that a good investment for an organization or a setters and closers, something that people should invest in or again, depend on your business? It depends on your business because the thing I said, the best marketing program is the one that works, right? There's another saying in marketing, what I say three times is true. So the best marketing system is the, is the one that works. So <laughs> yeah. now I said at least three times, right? Uh, so, it must be true. But, yeah. uh, so hopefully everybody will remember. So it depends. There are certain businesses that would be the best thing for them. There are other businesses where we should do pay-per-click, you know, because we can drive traffic to a, if you're willing to invest in a sales funnel and, um, or the landing pages and such. Is that based on your kind of product stack? I mean, is a pay-per-click a more kind of low ticket price, low sort of productized type of market and appointment setters, high ticket price, more complex sales? Is that a rough way how you would stack that? Yeah, sort of. I mean, you can also go into Google and you can actually see if there's searches for what the person's selling. Are people searching for what you're selling is one example. So if they're searching and they're there looking for what you're selling, then yeah, it's a good place to be. 
So now you just need a good landing page, a good offer, and a good ad campaign. And we just drive to start, you know, shooting traffic that way. We can take advantage of Google both in the SEO way and a pay-per-click way. Facebook is more for lifestyle-related brands, and that's a very general statement. So I'd want to talk to people like, you know, maybe coaching stuff or, you know, you can sell business stuff in there. A lot of business stuff can be sold in Facebook for sure, but it's a different environment. And so it's a lot. Yeah, the leads are better from, the quality of the individual leads are better from Google, but they're more plentiful from Facebook. So then you have to think with, okay, well, I don't want to meet with all those people. <laughs> so yeah, because that's too many people. So rather, I'm going to have a sales funnel in place that's going to you know separate the wheat from the, you know, uh, and what have you. And so, whereas like, yeah, there are many people who are looking to talk to a particular person within an organization. And that person is very, is active on LinkedIn. And so we LinkedIn's a great channel, you know, in that case. There's other people like roofers that really, they, they want to develop bird dog, as well as having social media activity. They can, they, we just do social media and SEO for a roofer. And we had a roofer that made like 100K just off a very small social media SEO program. This year, that's what he made, right? And he just got a huge job from uh, SEO and social media campaign that we're doing for him. But this is also where digital's a lot smarter than it used to be too, right? Like it's very geocentric now as well, isn't it? So if you're business and you serve a, a small area, yeah, you've got your, your mail outs and your postcode related marketing campaigns, but you can pretty much achieve the same with geomarketing, right? In terms of appearing on the device in the right place for that type of service. Because being a roofer is a pretty competitive market, right? There's lots of roofers, there's lots of plumbers, there's lots of trades. But if you're the smart one in the room and you engineer your digital marketing appropriately and, and SEO and Google is a little bit like a video going viral, right? The more traffic your website gets, the more people start interacting, but by its nature, it becomes organically more obvious as well, right? You get a better profile, you get reviews, the referral network kicks in and all of a sudden you're on your way, yeah? Yeah, that's true. And so basically those geofencing is a big deal right where you and that's definitely totally something you use there's so many tools it's kind of wild isn't it i could sit here and list off all the different tools i mean we do influencer marketing we do social media we do tiktok we do tiktok ads we got okay good so which is going to be the right one for you like i have one person that really gets a lot of referrals from insurance agents so he's got a telemarketing program <laughs> and we call insurance agents for him and we set up personal appointments where he goes and visits the insurance agent. And so, and he loves that, you know, and he gets so much business off of that. It's really about finding out what's going to get a result for that guy. Whereas a restaurant, you know, has a whole different set of needs. Now you're into geotagging. And if you're in an area, which uh, I live in Clearwater, Florida, which gets a lot of holiday traffic, Wow, if you're a restaurant in downtown Clearwater and you're pinging people that just drove into the area, that's great, you know? You've got a great marketing person and they're all over it where you start showing up in the feed of those guys that are now staying in your area so they start seeing your ads. That's perfect. I guess one of the other elements within marketing and lead gen is your CRM system and your direct mailing. Is that something that is a little bit 2020 or are people still kind of reading emails and the nurture campaigns on emails. I mean, I, I unsubscribe from so many mail lists, you know, because every time you sign up for a card or every time you buy something, you've got to give your email like out and then they, everyone bugs you. It's almost like that's become a, the equivalent of the junk mail in the letterbox. Or is EDM and direct marketing through email still an effective channel? 
everything you said is very true. And at the same time, email has one of the largest ROIs, return on investments of any marketing tool. So setting up like a email automation and newsletter campaigns and such of that, I mean, we do those, you know, we do those for the clients that are really serious, that set up, want to set up a funnel, want to set up big conversion strategies or into e-commerce or what have you. Those work. And as I understand, everything you said is true. And some people hate it. In fact, I know people that won't do it, even though it would work well for them because they hate it so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never a great way to make a decision, is it? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's insightful. And of course, I guess that's the challenge. Every time a new digital channel opens up, you know, for Instagram now it's threads and it's reels and now YouTube has reels and everyone jumps on a bandwagon and then that bandwagon gets distributed more widely. I guess what is good though is, you know, one content piece can now travel across multiple channels. So creating the content is one piece of content goes a lot further than maybe creating a lot of content for the one channel. Yeah, that's true. Content marketing is, yeah, I mean, you create uh, content for TikTok, obviously can be used on every other, you know, most other channels can be converted easily into those other ones. And you can get somebody to post it out there and you can post it on your Google business page as well. And uh, that contributes to your SEO and you can put together articles that you can go post on different articles that you post one on each of the 50 different websites and that builds your SEO at the same time. And content's powerful. It really is. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun too. I mean, there's Gary Vanderchuk's a great resource for people too. If they if nobody's read Jab, Jab, Right Hook, a great book by Gary Vanderchuk, highly recommend reading his stuff. He's totally worth it. And to what you said before, he also said something is that marketers ruin everything. So when a new tool comes out, they basically beat it to death until it's dead, you know, just about at least. But then it comes back, right? Yeah. Like now there's not as much junk mail as there was they used to be in my box. And the platforms govern it as well, right? So they're making sure that you're not spamming people and you get punished pretty early on. And funny, you know, and now Facebook comes back into vogue as a relatively cheap platform to advertise off because everyone's disappeared down into TikTok and LinkedIn ads. Yeah, direct mail is now, now a place you could spend some money, you know, with some good results and people do. So marketing, I mean, people like jump on the bandwagon, but then, you know, a smart marketer says, okay, well, let me see when this tool is actually going to be useful and for who. And one of the pieces of advice I've given to people too is reaching out to people that are exactly in your same industry and surveying them for what they're doing that's working. Because if you could get a list of those things that they're actually getting tangible results from, if you took the time to survey like 10 people, like if you're a pest control guy, and if I was, if I had that business, I would put somebody really nice on the phone. Me and them would do like a bunch of research calls, 25 of them to find out what's working and with non-competing people in other markets, and I would just find out all sorts of stuff about what's working in my industry. And I start, and I start doing it, right? Because you already know what the best marketing program is. I don't have to say that. <laughs> Full time. That's junk mail, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so with a view to, to winding this up, and I could talk, this is fascinating for me. I'm loving it. If you're to look back on the start of your marketing journey, Barry, and you know everything you know now, what would you say to yourself to accelerate your journey with a do-over to be, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so, so much we can learn. What would jumpstart you if you went back to the start of that journey with everything you know now? I'd say that piece of advice that I just gave, like 
do the things that are working out there in the world, not some bright idea. Because like, unless you have, you know, just sending out communication, putting up billboards, running ads in newspapers, whatever, you got me going back to. Yeah, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be doing that now. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I was 18, but that's what we did back then. Yeah. We used to run sometimes with some of the things I did through the years for nonprofits, we ran classified ads, right? When we did that, you know, it's funny, the contrast of those two things, the billboards, we really didn't have any examples of that working for anybody else that was in our industry as an effective method to get clients. The newspaper ads sometimes, yes, but when I was in nonprofits, we had some great examples from some other nonprofits of how they utilize classified ads. And then we went crazy with it, right? And we got a lot of good results with it because the difference being we found something that worked, that had a track record, and that was money well spent. And then when you find that thing that's working well, double down. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, again, sometimes people take the pedal off the metal then because they're like, oh, it's working now. I'm making some money. I can save a bit of money on my marketing. And then you go back into the, you know, I call it the sine wave of marketing. It's, oh, I need to spend, I'm not getting, I've got no business. I need to spend money on marketing. And all of us, oh, look at this, all this business is coming in. I don't need to spend any money on marketing. And you just get caught in that cycle, right? <laughs> yeah. And the only thing you can do wrong as far as growth goes is not organized to deal with it. And then you have to organize enough to deal with it. That's where the virtual assistants come in with my virtual assistant company. And then whatever you were doing that was working, you have to organize up in such a way that it doesn't fall out or drop out, that you actually do more of it while servicing all those customers that came in. Because the minute, you know, you're busy, like promote, promote, promote to get some clients in, you got some clients and they're like, oh, I got to service the clients, right? But I, now the promotion doesn't happen. And so your sales sink again and okay, that doesn't work at all. None of that works. You know, so what you have to do, one of the great things I've done with my own marketing that grew my business is I used to do a lot of the reach outreach myself to set my own appointments to meet new people, right? And I would do that outreach myself. I was good at it and I meet people and I'm really good at it. So I took that process and I trained other people how to do it for me. So now I talk to a lot more people. I mean, I have time because I don't do that outreach myself. So I have time to talk to a lot more people. Uh, but I have a few people that do that for me. And their job is just to schedule me to meet with cool people that I'm going to chat with and I'll either make a friend or I'll get a new client or who knows, maybe even a business partner. Yeah, but it's just better quality use of your time, right? Someone told me once that the first employee you should ever put on is a cleaner of your house because that's the cheapest labor that's going to free up your time to mow, someone to mow the lawn, do the pool, do everything. It's a good point. And I think VAs and the fact that the standard of VAs is, is improved dramatically and the education is improved dramatically is such a game changer and provides leverage that you know wasn't there before. And I think, oh, look, Barry, mate, that was such an insightful conversation. I really appreciated that. I wouldn't mind actually getting another podcast with you later on to go into a deeper dive more on brand and marketing. But hey, thanks for being very generous with your time today. And and for being so informative. I mean, that was some really great advice. If you want to talk to Barry, stampedemarketing.com, that is going to be down in the show notes, as well as his team building agency. That's team building as in you're building your team, not coming in and doing amazing race with you. Also, you don't do amazing race, do you, mate? No. No. <laughs> and, you know, having seen these kind of models before, the value, Barry, in what you're doing is you've got the high-end strategic mindset as well as the execution because an idea is really nothing without 
the engine to execute and get it done. And there's no doubt you've nailed that completely. So thanks again for coming on the show, Barry. Look forward to hopefully speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's stampedebranding.com. And if there's somebody who wants to write and talk to me directly, they can just send me a, shoot me an email, Barry, B-A-R-R-Y at stampedebranding.com. I love to meet new people and chat with them. So uh, yeah, I'm here if you need me. Awesome. You can listen to Barry on the podcast or on our YouTube channel. And again, scroll down, you'll find all his contact details in the show notes. Thanks again, Barry. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Ode Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.